Welcome to What Do You Know About? My name is Ash, and I will be your tour guide through the lesser-known stories of history. You can join us on your favorite podcast app, or come have a conversation on our Instagram at WDKA Podcast. But first, hold on tight, because we're about to go down a historical rabbit hole with today's episode. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody. How is your week going? We've got Ash and me, Kat, here today to talk to you about a couple of Bonnie lasses. Um, I'm talking about Anne Bonnie, and you are talking about... Bonnie Parker and Miss Criminals. So our, our running theme of the day is essentially women who saw the law and chose no. So... Yeah, um, we can say that way, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> I would say more that we've found the women who ch- found the men and then chose to ignore the laws because of their men. Oh, see, you know what? I thought that was the case with Anne Bonnie, but I was incorrect. Anne oh. Bonnie outright chose piracy of her own volition, and I am fully convinced of that now. <laughs> okay, I'm excited to hear about this. So I'm so excited to talk about Anne Bonnie. And of course, you can't talk about Anne Bonnie without also talking about Mary Reed. So we're going to do a little bit of both in mine. Ashley. Yes. What do you know about Anne Bonnie? I know she was a pirate. Mm-hmm. And I know that there there was only one, one other female pirate on the ship. And that the two mm-hmm. of them were like the forces to be reckoned with, not the men. Absolutely. Absolutely they were. <laughs> but that's about all that I know. Like, I don't know like as much about like the background details, so... Well, we have all of the background details, and I am so excited to tell you about this. So I started digging into Anne Bonny and discovered pretty much immediately this phenomenal gem of a book that I am so thrilled that I have come across in this research. But let me let me let me start off this way. Let's go back to 1697 Common Era, and from this point on, everything I say is highly speculative because it is probably more legend than true. We have no way of knowing and confirming. We have very few actual documents. The only documents that we do have are like the court cases when they were condemned as being pirates. Like that's it. So, <laughs> so from here on out, everything though. is mostly speculative. None of this can be confirmed, but according to legend and according to the most commonly referred to source that we have, this is more or less what happened. Okay. So most of the information that we have on Anne Bonny is from a beautiful, beautiful gem of a book called A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates by Captain Charles Johnson. 
And this delights me to no end. I love pirate stories. I love a good pirate story. This is the pirate story that started all the pirate stories. This is where they all come from. This is where our idea of the romanticized pirate came from. So I am absolutely thrilled that this came up in my research. Captain Charles Johnson is thought to be a pen name for Daniel Defoe, who is the author of Robinson Crusoe. Uh, but historians are still arguing this point. We actually don't know. So it's possible there was an entirely unknown pirate expert out there named Captain Charles Johnson who really did compile these stories. I really hope that Charles Johnson was real and was a pirate himself just collecting the stories of all the pirates that he met or heard about and writing them all down. But we've got no clue. It could also be entirely fiction. We don't know. Daniel Defoe was also a journalist, so it's entirely possible. So he like he did journalistic works and he did fictional works. So it's entirely possible that he combined the two into this book. But we don't know. We don't know where the lines are. That was what makes it more fun, though. It's so much fun. <laughs> and it gives it the more juicy stuff that's great for doing, I don't know, podcasts. Yeah, no, it's so great. It's so great. So, yeah, so the, the argument with this book is that half the statements have been proven as fact. There are things, like, it's as if the author had, like, court documents available to them. Like, they reported them as true. We can confirm that half the things are th true. And the other half, like, are either completely exaggerated or completely made up. It's just impossible to know, right? Like, when you have, like, just enough facts sprinkled into it, it's like, where is the line? We can't tell. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost like the author wrote it as historical fiction, but like while it was happening. So if you can, if you can stomach the old English, it is such an interesting read and I a thousand percent recommend it. I've only read uh, so far the chapters on Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, but I'm like a thousand percent like intending to get the book and read the rest of it for myself because it's so much fun. And yeah, like I said, it's literally the defining book for how pirates have been portrayed in media ever since. So enough about the book that I... I'm super excited about. What do we know about Anne Bonny? We know she was a real person. We know that she was born around 1697 in, we have her placed in Kinsale, uh, Kinsale County, Cork, Ireland. We know she was an Ill illegitimate child born to her father's maid and mistress. Her father was a lawyer named William Cormack. Her mother was his maid named Mary Brennan. And we know this part is true, like this part of the book is true, because Cormac's wife found out about the affair and told everyone and destroyed his reputation so bad that he had to leave town and moved from Ireland to North Carolina. <laughs> or South Carolina? South Carolina. Okay, interesting move. Pretty big move. He, well, like, he was a lawyer and he got caught lying. Like, it was not a good look. <laughs> it was not a good look. Um, That's, this is before, like, America became America, right? Yeah, so this is, like, 1700s. He didn't, he wouldn't have moved until, like, early 1700s. So it was, I'm actually not sure what year America became America. Does that make me a bad neighbor? Hang on. Um, it looks like South Carolina was admitted to the Union May 23rd, 1788. Yeah, so this was way before that. So this was, they were the colonies at this point. They weren't America yet. Gotcha. Which makes sense. So 
So the book describes how the affair was discovered in a level of detail that could only be known by someone who either lived with the story their entire life or by someone who completely made it up. Like it has details about like three spoons were stolen and then the maid called out the thief and then the thief was like, oh, I'm, I'm not stealing these and then tried to hide them in the maid's bed so that she would find them later, but she didn't find them later because she was sleeping with the master. And then like, it, it's like a whole thing. It is a whole thing. It is some like old english drama or like old irish i guess drama and it's it's the wildest story legend has it that cormac's mother sided with his wife in the matter of the affair and wrote him out of her will leaving everything to his wife and her twin children which was which were a boy and a girl but cormac's mother like william cormac's mother soon died and like all the money was left to the wife and the kids and so the wife was giving cormac like an allowance for a certain amount of time like every like month he would get a certain amount of money or something so that he wasn't just like completely floundering over there uh he he was fond of mary the maid and their daughter though so he lived with them and this is where lines get blurred again so either to meet the requirements of the family will i.e either to like continue receiving the money from his wife or to avoid scandal, the story goes that the couple dressed Anne as a boy and claimed Anne was a, rel a relative's child in Cormac's care rather than being his daughter so that the wife would continue sending him money because she wasn't going to do that, obviously, if he was, like, living with the mistress and his kid, like, because, you know, women scorned. But this didn't last terribly long. According to the book, the wife sent out a friend to investigate and it and it was revealed that the child was the daughter rather than some relative's son. Um, so he was kind of exposed for living with the mistress. And his reputation was just completely destroyed. And this is when they, the three left town. So father, mistress, and daughter, Anne, left town to start again in South Carolina on a plantation. He started by working in law and then bought like a large plantation and basically completely started over Cormac apparently uh, passed Brennan off as his wife, like his legitimate wife, and Anne off as his legitimate daughter. Brennan died when Anne was around the age of 13, and it was left to her to keep the house after her death. So here, there's more legends uh, that she apparently killed a maid in a fit of temp, like in a fit of temper. Oh, I think I heard about Captain that. But even Captain Johnson. Hmm? I think I'd heard about that. Yeah. So here, she's a teenager. She's running the household. Legend has it that she went into a fit of temper and killed a maid with a knife from the house. But Camp Captain Johnson, even in the book, writes that he looked into that story and found it to be groundless. Okay. But then who Which started is interesting story? to me because if he's researching these stories, then that gives a little more grounds that maybe they're a little bit more true than we think. Or it's like the Sherlock thing where it's like, the books were written as though they're from Dr. Watson's, Watson's perspective and written in a way that they would have been written if they were written by a real person. So it's like, it's, it's, it's back to this weird line of like, okay, you say you looked into it and you didn't find grounds for it. Did you actually look into it and not find grounds for it? Or did you say that so that the reader could suspend their disbelief and like believe the story? Right? Yeah, I would. Be wanted so I just I that. thought that was an interesting note that they put that in there and he followed it up with the story that uh, he apparently did find grounds for 
that was about how a young fellow tried to lay with her against her will and she beat him senseless, like so badly that it took, quote, a considerable time for him to recover. Okay, I'm liking her more and more. Right? So, like, this guy's pushing her and she's like, she's like, absolutely not. And she beats him to a pulp. And, like, as a teenager, right? So, she, regardless of whether the first story was true, the second story proves that she still has, like, that tenacity, that fire in her, that that feisty, like, fierceness that would come out in her adult life. Yeah. So. I want to take, like, a note from her Bible to be like, <laughs> this is how I will react if you fuck me over. <laughs> She's like, absolutely freaking not. Like, do not touch me, please. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm so here for it. Right? Oh, man. she Like, this, this woman has the fire. Like, she has, ugh, like, she is like so like you'll see in the rest of her story she is not one to be told what to do by anybody uh it's fantastic like she's such a little spitfire i love it so either captain johnson believed that uh the second story to be true or he wrote it that so that the reader would but yeah she one thing's consistent she was feisty she could hold her own even as a teenager so her father tried to marry her off to a local man. She did not want him. And this man is not even named. It just calls him a local man. She did not want him. And so she decided, I'm never going to see him again and ran off and got married to a sailor uh, or a fisherman, depending on your story, named John Bonnie, which is where she gets her last name and Bonnie from. Uh, and the book describes him as uh, John Bonnie, quote, who belonged to the sea and was not worth a groat. Fantastic description of somebody. <laughs> I think in, like, an episode of, like, a comedy history show, they talked a mm -hmm. little bit about that, and basically were like, yeah, she said no thanks to the guy of her stature, and went for the guy that is lower in stature that she just loved. Yeah. And yeah, I'm like, exactly. you go, girl. Like, go get what you want. Exactly, right? Like, she's like, no, I, I prefer this guy, thank you. And so... Yeah, so she she's like, no thanks to the, to the guy that her dad was trying to marry her off to. And, like... The book itself was saying that she was like, um, she, when she lived with her father, uh, she, people talked about her as though she would marry well, right? So there was no question about like, well, you know, would she have been able to marry higher than her status? She absolutely would have. That was like, that was, that, that was the talk of the town. Um, but she was like, yeah, no thanks. This fisherman over here, way more interesting. Bye. Her father obviously didn't like it. And the newlyweds set sail for the Bahamas to the island of New Providence, completely without his blessing. They're like, nah, fuck it, we're gone. And so they take off there. Anne, now Anne Bonnie, rather than Anne Cormac, uh, met and befriended a number of pirates while she was living on the island, including one John Rackham, who went by the more familiar name Calico Jack. Ooh, I like that name. Yeah, yeah. It almost sounds yeah, like a name, name from, like, cats. <laughs> He was named Calico Jack uh, because he preferred a more, like, a um, a cheaper type of cotton. Like, uh, apparently a lot of other pirates at the time would wear the fancy cotton, the fine cotton. And they were a little bit more, like, like uh, kind of lavish in that sort of regard. And he just wasn't. He was a little more basic. They were a pretty small pirate, like, small-time pirates. And so that's why he got the name Calico Jack. Apparently that relates to him not wanting to wear the fancy cotton. So... Well, I mean, which cotton is more comfortable and which cotton is going to actually be airy enough 
you're not getting like overheated or anything while you're trying to fight people right and like you're just not worried about like ruining your lavish cotton if you're if you're mid-battle if you if you can just focus on just like fighting it's 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 so much more practical <laughs> yeah i would say ca- i like um, calico guy yeah, so I no, we vibe with Calico Jack. Calico Jack is vibe. But this this relationship, this friendship became a problem though. Uh when Anne's husband John decided that he was going to become a pirate snitch. I mean, I'm sorry, informant, a pirate informant. <laughs> uh for the governor of the Bahamas, a privateer named Woods Rogers, who I believe himself was an ex-pirate and made it his mission to take down all the pirates. Okay. So, Anne didn't like this very much and preferred instead Calico Jack's advances. Calico Jack even offered to pay John Bonney to divorce her, which was apparently standard practice at the time, but John Bonney declined. Uh, And Anne said, fuck it anyway, and ran off with Calico Jack because she does not like being told what to do. I mean, I would run off with Calico Jack too. Fisherman guy didn't seem as practical. Right, like, fisherman guy, he was, like, an honest fisherman, he was an honest sailor, he was doing his best, and then he was like, you know what, I'm gonna make a little side hustle, there's all these pirates around here, I'll be a little, I'll make a little side hustle, I'll be, I'll play informant for the governor, and she was like, uh, no, these are my friends, fuck you, and ran off with the side hustle. Yeah. Yeah, like, she's just, like I said, she's such a little spitfire. So this is around, like, 1713 now. So keep in mind, this girl's, like, 15 and she's already, like, she was, her father tried to betroth her to one man. She said no, she ran off with this other one. And then she changed her mind on him because he took a little bit of a, a career turn that she didn't approve of. And then runs off with the pirate who's been, like, trying to court her away from him at 15. So at this point, legend says that she dressed like a man to run away with Calico's crew, deceiving all but Calico and eventually uh, revealing her true nature to Mary Reed as well. A more realistic take is that the women dressed as men to fight and as women otherwise, or at least that the crew, like, knew and it wasn't really a secret from them. And I say this because Anne was, like, pregnant with Calico's child shortly after being at sea. Like, she had, like, a whole pregnancy. And when she was, like, when she started, like, swelling and being, like, very, like, pregnant, when she was too pregnant to fight, he dropped her off with a friend in Cuba as the story goes. And once she had the child and was recovered, uh, then she kind of came back to work. So it was kind of like a pirate maternity leave. Okay, that's kind of cool. Right? (laughs) And very considerate of them and be like, okay, baby's in danger now. Let's put you on maternity leave so that we don't kill the baby in your line of work. Yeah, right? And like the captain's baby too, so it makes sense. And then the baby was seemingly left behind with these friends in Cuba. Well, the seas aren't really the place for a newborn, so... (laughs) This is the thing, right? Like, it's practical. It makes sense. So that's kind of the more realistic take. I don't see how you could hide a pregnancy or, like, a a whole maternity leave with the same crew and, like, not have them know. So I personally suspect that they did know and they just dressed as men to fight because it's easier to fight in pants on the sea than it is in a full dress. So... That's my take. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And the crew is fully, like, on board with this from the sounds of things. Uh, given her their reputation for being extremely fierce, like, it makes sense. So when she had given birth and recovered, they picked her back up and continued on, apparently leaving the child behind. And now we've mentioned Mary Reed, so now we get to explain Mary Reed a little bit. Mary Reed was a 
complete badass in her own right. She was also an illegitimate, illegitimate child, so she and Anne had that in common. Um, in her case, her mother had a legitimate son, and then her husband died, and then she had what the book calls an accident, and left her mother's home before it was obvious that she was pregnant. Uh, she lived with friends for a while, gave birth to Mary Reed, and shortly after, her son died. Well... Mary's mother saw this as an opportunity to return to her mother, dressed her daughter up as her son, and came home. Somehow this worked. Okay. <laughs> she managed to convince her mother that her daughter was actually her son and continued to receive her allowance from her mother until she died, at, at which point she was on her own. Mary Reed entered the workforce around the age of 13, I think they said, as a boy, before joining a Navy ship still in disguise. She found a way, or she, sorry, she worked on this ship and she rose in rank until she fell in love for a comrade and started slacking at her job. Apparently, uh, the way the book phrases it, what was it? Mars and Venus cannot both be pacified, I think was what it said. Okay. That's, that's the way that they phrased it, is just like Mars and Venus could not be served at the same time, it seems, because she was so in love with this guy that she started fumbling her duties and started fumbling everything. <laughs> No, but listen, though, like, she's also a kid, right? She was also, like, 13 to 15 at this point. So, like, it kind of makes sense. It's just, she is, I kind of relate to Mary in this regard because she, when she loves something, she is all in. Like, that's what this tells me. She, She loved this boy so much, she would do anything for him, and this will come back later, and it will come back in a badass sort of way later. So, I mention this now because this, this comes to fruition later. So, she loved this guy. She found a way to reveal herself to him and only him uh and he was like oh cool that means like i have access to the only women in the crew this is amazing this is like my private mistress essentially and she was like no if you want any of that you're gonna marry me first so he agreed and when the campaign was over they got married this did not last long her husband soon died and she went back to dressing and working as a man in order to survive and now it was in this form that So she was dressed as a man, she was working as a man, she was working on a ship. Her ship was overrun by English pirates. And she, being one of the only English sailors on board, was taken by the pirates while the rest were left behind. Okay, so so being English saved her. Being English saved... Well, like, the rest, they were left alive, they were just plundered. So she, instead of, like, going back and living her life, like, they weren't, like, killed. They were just left behind on the ship. So, like, she would have been alive either way. But this has got her into piracy. Shortly after this, a proclamation was sent out by the governor that all those kidnapped into piracy would be pardoned, and that included Mary's crew. They accepted the offer, but no sooner did they sail out under a legitimate flag than they mutinied and went right back to piracy. Good on them. So I would like to point out here that she had the chance to leave and she chose to go straight back into piracy. I would like to specifically point this out because Mary always said that she never wanted piracy, but she continued to go back to it. Yeah, because girls just want to have fun, and honestly, piracy sounds a little bit more entertaining than just running a ship. I mean, fair. Alternatively, girls just want to not be hanged for being a pirate, and are just willing to just say that they don't want to be pirates when they very much do want to be pirates. True. Yeah, so she always said she never wanted piracy, but she and Anne were also always all in, first to the fight. Whenever the action started, they were front of the line. In one such case, in fact, like the final case when they were kind of attacked and collected and like imprisoned, when Anne and Mary and one other were keeping like keeping the deck, 
and this ship started closing in on them. They were coming to collect them, round up the pirates. And when they saw that this was happening, Anne and Mary called down to the crew to come up and fight like men. When the crew didn't jump up to fight immediately, Mary shot a gun down into the hold, killing one and wounding others. Yeah, because the men were doing their job. Doesn't want to be a pirate, my ass. <laughs> so where Anne was all about being a pirate in word and action, Mary was more modest about it, but still very actively all in. Like she was so intense about everything. <laughs> I mean, don't you kind of have to be to have a pirate's life? If you're not intense, you're doomed. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. And these girls, like, embodied that, like, in such an insane way. So, story goes that the way that Anne was revealed to Mary, Mary was revealed to Anne. This is following the legend that they somehow deceived the crew, despite Anne being pregnant and still a part of the crew. Story goes that Anne thought that Mary was a very handsome man and approached her. She apparently was not as concerned about chastity as Mary was. That's the way that the book phrases it. It's delightful. And revealed to Mary that she was actually a woman as a way of coming on to her. Mary at this point had to tell her that she was not what she was expecting and revealed herself to Anne. And so the girls were revealed to each other and became very close and like sisters is what the book says. We can infer our own opinions from that. I was going to say, I'm like, I would like them together, please. (laughs) But that was, like, super-duper, like, probably more illegal at the time than, like, piracy itself. So, like, so like I understand not being outright with it, but, like, like come on. This, so the, it, this, this encounter made them very, very close and made Calico Jack very jealous. Apparently, he was quite jealous of Anne and wanted her to himself. They were essentially married at this point, so it kind of makes sense. And Anne had to reveal Mary's secret to the captain in order to keep him from slitting her throat, or so the story goes. So I, like I mentioned before, I subscribed to the other theory, um, suggesting that the crew and the captain all knew, but they dressed like men just for battle. And I found one thing that kind of annoyed me a little bit. One historian asserted that in this case, the quote, the pirates tolerated the women because they made themselves available to everyone in Rackham's crew as a means for explaining why, why women were even allowed on board the ship. Okay, I do not like that. Right, like... See, the thing is, at the time, it was like an extremely superstitious thing. Women weren't allowed to board. I think even Blackbeard had a rule where um, he didn't allow any women on his ship because it was bad luck. Um, But when you have two girls as fierce and as fiery as these, I don't think them being sexually available is like the main reason for wanting them as part of your crew. Yeah. And it doesn't fit with the story. It, It For one thing... According to all the stories, Mary never slept with a man she didn't intend to marry, right? Or she wasn't essentially married to. And also, while Anne was less concerned with chastity, apparently, like, her husband was the captain. And apparently a jealous one. And if he says she's okay to stay on board, then she stays on board and promiscuity doesn't need to have anything to do with it. This assertion, assertion also discredits the fact that these two women were absolutely brutal, and even victim testimony says that they were willing to do anything that was hazardous. So, like, there are so many reasons why it could have been okay for these women to be on board. It wasn't an outright rule everywhere that women were not allowed to be on a ship, for one thing. And, like, when you have women like these, yeah, you let them be a part of your crew. <laughs> well, duh. Like, they're the best part of the crew. They're insane. They, like, they're they're the first to jump into battle. They're the first to, like, they're always telling the other men to fight like men. Like, it's like, they they were the ones that showed up and did the work and, like, were ready for it, right? Yeah. 
Uh, another example of their tenacity was um, a certain man was taken aboard the ship. Uh, they, they had found a man who was interesting enough to like keep him as part of the crew. He wasn't strictly a pirate, but he was aboard the ship. And Mary caught feelings for him. Now, if we know anything of her character from these stories, it's that when she falls in love, she falls hard. So this man got into a quarrel with a pirate, and they agreed to fight it out on land when they dropped anchor. Mary sees this, and she doesn't want him to be branded a coward, but she also doesn't want him to fight, um, because she thinks that he's going to lose. Okay, so she has no faith in him. Gotcha. But, but this guy's not a pirate, right? Like well, they, yeah. the, the story says that they found, like, artists and things like that as well. So this man is not a fighter. So, and she, she's going, and he's going up against a pirate. So she's like, this is not a fair fight. I'm not here for this. I don't want him to get hurt. But I also don't want him to back out and be branded a coward. So she challenged the same pirate to a fight two hours before his set fight with her love interest, right? Okay. She fought him with a sword and pistol and killed him on the spot. Good girl. (laughs) No offense, but this other guy sounds like a bit of an ass. (laughs) Like, this is what I mean. Being all in in love doesn't make her less of a badass. It makes her, honestly, just more intense of a lover. Because it's like the same thing with her first guy. Like, she fell so desperately in love with him that she's like, fuck it. Like, you know, fuck my personal safety. Like, I'm protecting him. Like, I'm like... Oh, that was that was the thing I didn't mention, too, with the first one. Part of her being bad at her job was her running to the front of battle where she had no business being and putting herself in harm's way. Like, she was, like, when I say she was all in, I mean, she was, like, all fucking in. And so she should be. Like, if anything, I think, like, if the crew had any sort of feelings about these two, I think, honestly, they'd just be, like, a little bit afraid of them, and I think it would probably have been justified. Yeah. Because I would have been a little bit afraid of them. No, we would have joined them. Oh, for sure. For sure. But also with, like, a side eye and, like, I don't want to be on their bad side. <laughs> well, yeah, we'd be a little bit more careful. Like, we'd still be careful, but we'd be like, we're joining you. Like, we're like, on your uh, side. Don't kill us. <laughs> hi, excuse me. I'm small and squishy. Can I join your crew of pirates, please? You seem really cool. <laughs> oh, man. That would be me. I, like... I, I would be losing my mind. I want, I want, I would, I, if I could go back in time and meet these two women, I want to hear all of their stories. Yeah. Oh, um, man. And might I remind you, still like 15 or 16, these women did not get, like, the around the time that they were captured, it was only like 17, 20. So Anne would have been like 23 at most. Like, these are young girls. Yeah. And they're this fucking badass. <laughs> I mean, with the life that they seem to have had, I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. Because, right. Because, like, they had to be fighters. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. So, according to the story, back to Mary Reed shooting the guy that her potential lover had, uh, had a problem with, her plan worked and the man, like, ended up falling in love with her. Yeah. They didn't have time to get officially married, but they seem to have exchanged some sort of vows and she, oh, I guess this would have been, they would have been just about 20 at this point or somewhere around there, somewhere around their late teens, early 20s. Yeah, so they didn't have a lot of time to get married because shortly after this, they were boarded. They were like, the whole crew was taken captive. They were rounded up for piracy. And she was found to be pregnant. Her and Anne actually both were found to be pregnant when they were in jail and used this to delay their death sentence. So at the time, you couldn't hang a woman if she was pregnant because the child inside her at least was innocent and you'd be killing an innocent person if you hanged a pregnant woman. That's just the way that they that they saw it. So what we had is the entire crew and these two women 
and they were all charged with piracy, but they were all charged separately. So, like, the entire crew of men was charged as one count of piracy, and then the two women were charged as another, like, group of pirates, essentially. Um, And so the men were all charged, they were convicted, they were sentenced to death by hanging. And the women were charged, they were convicted, they were sentenced to death by hanging, but they wouldn't be able to until they had given birth and were no longer pregnant. Okay. So, so they had a little more time. During the case of the court and everything, uh, Mary proclaimed to the court that she had never slept with a man who wasn't her husband. She'd never committed adultery. As a means of kind of clarifying her crime, she's like, for the record, adultery is not one of them. I am pregnant by my husband. And she's like, let's get this straight. If I'm going to die, I'm dying as a pirate, and that's it. (laughs) She did also try to claim that she never wanted piracy, but as we've discussed like her victims came forward and they were like uh no she was at the front of the battle what do you mean she doesn't want this she wanted this yeah so what actually happened that night the crew was captured around 1720 most of the crew was drunk at the time but Anne Mary and Captain Rackham were fighting until the very last yeah so Anne and Mary were pregnant every uh they were imprisoned everyone was charged or they were charged separately from the rest of the crew everyone was sentenced to hang Mary ended up actually, unfortunately, dying of a fever in prison before her execution day actually came. So we we know that that's what happened to her. We know that that's how she died. Captain Rackham was allowed to see Anne one last time the day that he was executed. And do you know what she told him? What? She was sorry to see him there, but, quote, if he had fought like a man, he would not need to have been hanged like a dog. Wow. If he had fought like a man, he would not need to have been hanged like a dog as he's walking off to his hanging. She's basically just like, if you hadn't been such a little bitch, we wouldn't be here. Oh my goodness. That's her send-off. That's her send-off to this man that she has been married to longer than her first husband. Like, she's fought by this man's side for years. That is her send-off. I know it's bad, but it makes me like her more. Like, is it wrong for saying, like, I mean, and this is the same, okay, so when they got caught, this is the time that they got caught where, like, they shouted into the hole to get people to come up and everyone was too drunk to get up and then Mary Reed shot into the hole and killed someone because they weren't coming up to fight fast enough. This is the same instance. So, like, the fire that these women carried with them, just, like, completely uncontained, off the rails, completely off the rails. It's very impressive for their time that they had this fire and then they were allowed to keep this fire because they found the right place to have that kind of passion where they're not going to be Mm -hmm. like told off or told to be more ladylike or whatever right so exactly they didn't have people constantly telling them to make themselves small so they made themselves big and honestly being raised as a boy i like it happened to both of them i wonder how much they had to do with it because they weren't being raised as girls they weren't being told to be small and to be to be little and to and to like listen to the men and like they weren't being taught the same things as everybody else because they were being raised as boys for a little while and so they they were they were never like they weren't told to shrink themselves in the same way that so many other women at the time were yeah and you kind of see the effects of that and then there's like the question of like how much is nature and how much is nurture but it's like when you've got like this kind of fire in you like some of that is coming to you naturally no matter how you were raised but like whether or not you're allowed to express it that's where the difference lies yeah and piracy is a good place to express that yeah right so she has these lovely sent off words for her husband he is executed he dies by hanging she does not die in prison 
uh, and nor was she ever actually hanged. We have no idea what happened to her. We just know that she wasn't executed. Some people believe that her father paid her way out of prison and found her someone to settle down with. Others believe she went back to the friends in Cuba. Uh, She may have escaped. She may have been pardoned. A a number of theories suggest that she found someone and settled down. One of them was a theory that she went and settled down with another ex-pirate and had like eight kids or some crazy number like that. A lot of the theories have to do with, well, maybe she went to this place or settled down and that place and settled down and that place and settled down. We have no idea. Uh, There is one parish record in Jamaica from 1733 that refers to one Anne Bonnie, but it's debatable as to whether or not that is one and the same. The fact is, like most of Anne and Mary's lives, uh, Anne's eventual death is a complete mystery, which is unfortunately what happens when interesting people are born with too low of a status for the records to be kept. We lose out so much of who they were. These two, however, have gone down in infamy, and I'd love some document to come out confirming that, like, Captain Johnson was real and was telling the truth as far as he could tell for, like, all of these stories. He talks about other favorite, uh, famous pirates as well, going into more detail on Calico Jack and Edward Teach, more famously known as Blackbeard. And if you can keep up with that old English, it's such an interesting read. I found it for free online through the Project Gutenberg. Shameless plug. Major props to the Project Gutenberg for always coming through for me. And I'm absolutely buying myself a copy of this book because it is such an amazing classic title. And I I think it should be available everywhere. I will have to agree because I'm actually kind of considering that I might have to borrow your copy of the book. (laughs) I will lend it to you as soon as I am done with it. It is like just, yeah, if you can keep up with the old English, like like they're so good at just like telling the story and letting the implications sink in and then just being like, damn, you're right. This is what that implies. And like, it's just, it's just so good. It's just the way that they describe everything is just fantastic. So yeah, that's the story of uh, Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed, more or less. As far as we know. Yeah. So I think our takeaway is just like, even, even back in a time when women were not allowed to, these were two women that very much were just like, you know what? I do what I want. Fuck you telling me what I can and cannot do. I'll show you what I can and cannot do. The power that they hold in that is just, like, astounding. Like, it's just phenomenal. So we've got another Bonnie who also, to some extent, kind of said fucking did what she wanted. Some extent. Things. I know very little about... I, I can't even remember her last name. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Bonnie Parker. We are no longer friends. So um <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Listen, I am... I know very little about Bonnie Parker, but I'm very excited to hear her story. I am very excited to tell you her story because, like, in a world where, like, true crime is so popular, I'm always Mm -hmm. surprised when I get strange looks if I mention Bonnie and Clyde. I suspect that that's because people think that they're that they weren't real people because i for one before talking to you about them genuinely thought they were like a thelma and louise like they were like a movie couple or they were like something from films i did not know that they were actual real people for the longest time see then that like that shocks me because there's so much information about them there's you can still find like the newspaper articles and stuff from the like when they were running and when they died in creative writing classes where I've taken in some of like my historical fiction that I've tried to do about Bonnie and Clyde I've had so many people where they're like thinking that I made up her character oh my goodness and I'm like no they're friggin' real like what like did, did you guys not know any history but I think that they probably got lost because of, like, the media representation of them. Well, for sure. It's so, like, glamorized and, like, dramatized that it it, don't, it sounds like something that is from fiction, right? Like, it sounds like, it sounds too out there to have been a real thing. Yeah. They were a very interesting case of criminals. So I'm going to kind of go into, like, a little bit about Bonnie's early life. Um, mm-hmm. Because my personal belief is we need to look at any historical figure as a human first, including criminals. Yeah. We're going to mm-hmm. have like those criminals who are shitty people in their regular life. Don't dispute that. Mm-hmm. But we seem to immediately put their criminal status first in society and then forget about them as humans with families and with real problems like mm-hmm. you and I have. So bear with me because I connect so much with Bonnie that that's why I kind of want to focus on her and not on Clyde. Clyde yeah. was kind of like her gateway. <laughs> he was the gateway drug. Yeah, and I cannot stand him. <laughs> he was an asshole. <laughs> so Bonnie Elizabeth Parker was born mm-hmm. October 1st in 1910 uh, in Rowena, Texas. She's the middle okay. child of a family that was raised by a single mom, Emma Krause Parker, because her father passed away when she was only four years old. Kind of like our dear friend Catherine Howard. Yeah. Uh, The family moved back to Emma's childhood home in West Dallas, and her childhood was fairly uneventful for the most part. She was a brilliant writer, 
and was mm-hmm. actually winning poetry contests like no tomorrow through her school. Wow. She had aspirations of becoming a famous writer or a famous movie star. Um, mm-hmm. Hollywood it girl Clara Bow was one of her idols, which I will be talking about Clara in a later podcast episode because she is also one of my idols. Um, Fair enough. But it was in high school that Bonnie's life started to take a turn. In her second year, she met a boy and dropped out of school to be with him. Any guesses on who this boy might be? Is this Clyde already? No. No. It was Roy Thornton. Uh, He was (laughs) two years older than her when they met, and they ended Mm -hmm. up marrying six days before her 16th birthday in 1926. (gasps) I'm sorry, in 19 what? 1926. Okay, like... That's still young for that time, though, right? Like, that's, like, getting to the point where it was getting more and more normal to get married later and later, right? Like... A little bit later. Like, you're 20... Like, I think it was, like, more like you're... Like, when you're starting in your 20s, then you're starting to become, like, a spinster still. Um, Right. But 16? But, yeah, she was 16 when they married. Oh, my goodness. Roy was not a great husband, and Uh. he was never around much. Because he mm. spent most of his time in jail. Oh, no. Um, oh, this poor girl. She was not alone, though, because she okay. struggled with what we now understand is major anxiety. Rather yeah. than moving out of the family house, she made Roy move in as part of their marriage agreement because so she, she could not handle being away from her mom. Oh, oh, honey. Um, Like, her anxiety was so bad, and she had to still have her mom nearby, um, which was Mm -hmm. kind of in her benefit, because her husband was never around. He was always in jail after his petty crimes. Right. And then they actually ended up separating on the account that he was never present, but they never actually divorced. Oh, so she kept her ta- okay. she had a tattoo on her right knee of a heart surrounding their names, and she ended up dying with her, uh, her wedding ring still on her finger. Oh, so they were like still like officially married, and she was also still like like she was still wearing the ring. Yeah, and she had a tattoo with their names on her knee. Well, I mean, the tattoo is like removable thing, right? Like yeah. you can get a tattoo and regret regret it later, but if you're still actively choosing to wear the ring, then that tells me a little bit more about how you feel about the situation. Yeah. But then just after the separation, she met Clyde Chestnut Barrow. Okay. Um, There is not a definite story about how they met, but I prefer the version that their families believed, um, which is that Bonnie was helping a friend um, who broke her arm. Uh, She was helping her friend around the house in January of 1930, so four years after she got married. The story says that she was in the kitchen at the time, and she burned her hand on the stove while making hot chocolate when she saw him. Interesting. Okay. Ow. <laughs> and also kind of embarrassing for her, probably. Like Also a little bit, like, like a little bit foreboding. <laughs> yeah. She sees him and is, like, in the, in the act of injuring herself. <laughs> well, like, she injured herself when she saw him. Like, she saw him and was like, oh, and then went to go reach for the hot pot of uh, milk and burned her head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, okay, okay. Like, she got a little too distracted by oh, I see, I see, the okay. handsome young man that walked in. Okay, okay. Apparently, it was love at first sight, and they became inseparable. She oh. was 19 while he was 20. So, a little bit closer okay. in age. Tiny. A little bit. more reasonable. <laughs> the start of their romance was almost picture perfect, until mm-hmm. there was a bit of a pause. Because Clyde was arrested and convicted for auto theft just a few months later. 
Oh, no. And after her last husband was in and out of jail the whole time, too, that would have been like, uh, like, oh, come on, this again. But I think the love that Bonnie had for Clyde already, Mm -hmm. she got so obsessed that she ended up actually smuggling a weapon to him while he was in jail, which he used to escape. All right, so she's, like, a little bit here for it this time. Yeah, like, I think that they were, like, I think she felt a lot more close to him and comfortable with him because he was a smooth talker. Right, he was, he was that, like, 100% charming kind of guy. Yeah. Um, so, like, your usual suspect that you can see for, like, a serial killer, like, where they can smooth <laughs> talk, they're charming, everybody's like, oh, it couldn't be them that was kind of yeah. Clyde. Um, right, right, it was right. only a short-lived freedom, though, because then he got caught very quickly. And then he had to stay a longer stint. Like, there was no way of Bonnie sneaking him a weapon again to mm, get him out. Yeah. But he was continuously sexually assaulted by other inmates. And his Ooh. first murder occurred soon after when he bashed in the skull of his number one tormentor. Aww. Which is kind of the start of um, the cycle that Bonnie wasn't expecting to be a part of. It's like a yeah, 1930s no version of the Heathers, if you will. Right, and he's JD. Yeah, and yes, I technically was watching the movie while I was working on my notes. <laughs> That's okay. I was watching Pirates of the Caribbean while I was writing about Anne Bonnie. It, it felt very fitting. Exactly. But did you know that there's even a reference to Bonnie and Clyde by Veronica and JD in the movie? Wait, actually? There's literally a reference. I think it was when they were writing the first suicide note for, oh, he- yeah. like, for the first Heather that they kill. That's right. when... She makes a reference about them being Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, it makes sense. Bonnie and Clyde are referenced in, like, in, like, pop culture, like, constantly. Like, yeah. constantly, constantly. But, like, no one seems to know their actual story, even though they're they just, referenced. Yeah, they just know that they're these two beautiful, charming criminals that, like, got away with a bunch of shit for a long time and ended very dramatically. Like, that's, yeah, like, kind of the entirety of it. Yeah. So he kills a man in, essentially in self-defense. Yep. And starts a cycle that Bonnie was not prepared for. Yes. So she was so in love with him that she actually found it easier to leave her family home. Uh, When he was released from jail in 1932, minus two toes that he had chopped off in order to get out of the mandatory work in the fields. Oh my goodness. They started their life of crime with an inmate friend of his, uh, Ralph Fultz. And Ralph, he's one that he, like, after everything happened, he actually spoke out and said that really like the murder of his tormentor in jail was Mm -hmm. like the clicking point that Clyde became the um, hardened criminal that everybody saw. Well, I mean, honestly, like fair, you don't just murder a person and then just walk away unchanged. Like that changes you for life. Yeah. And then, so once they all kind of got together, it only took a few months until Fultz and Bonnie were both arrested for a robbery in a hardware store. So was Clyde even, like, part of, like, that was Clyde's friend that was with her then? Uh, Clyde was there, but I think he got away. Okay. Um, but left Fultz and Bonnie behind to wow. take the rap, basically. Wow. Grand jury failed to indict Bonnie, but Fultz did serve time, and then he never joined the gang again. So he was mm. only there for the few months. Um, so he was like, no, you left, left me behind. I'm out. We're not dealing with this. Yeah, and I think he realized that there was no loyalty. Mm, like, at least on Clyde's end. 
Right. Um, while waiting for her jury decision, though, Bonnie did spend her time in jail working on new poems before reuniting mm-hmm. with him just a few weeks after her release. Okay. Because she can't stay away from him. Yeah, fair enough. Um, now, this is the part that most people think that they know all about. Bonnie and Clyde go on the run, mm-hmm. this time being joined with his brother Buck and Buck's wife Blanche. Okay. So it's now become like a family affair. Right. Um, they rob a yeah, pile of stores, is... they steal a lot of cars, and murder a pile of people. <laughs> no. All the movies and TV shows make my darling Bonnie out to be the crazy broad who enjoyed the thrill of the kill. But that is the furthest thing from the truth. Okay. She actually hated it when Clyde and Buck would murder people. The one... Okay. So out of the four of them, Clyde had the most kills. Right. He was the main man. Right, okay. She actually never laid her hand on a gun when it came to the robberies or the murders. Hmm. The only actual time that she was really smoking or holding a gun is in, like, the infamous pictures that people have that were found during a raid of, like, a raid on uh, one of their hideouts, where she just posed with them. So, like, during a photo shoot, she held it, but then she never actually, like, used it on anybody. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, She was actually rarely actually seen at the scene of the crime, uh, where she would Mm -hmm. actually be in the car ready to be the getaway. Okay. Most of the time, her and Blanche were the ones that were ready to go with the car so that when Buck and um, Clyde did the robbery, then they would be ready for them, right? Like, they were the getaway crew. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, We can even thank Miss Bonnie Parker for the lives that were spared, because she actually hated the killings, but she knew that... her sweet old lover wouldn't give up the life of crime, so she sweet-talked him into kidnapping most of their victims and just leaving them on the other side of state lines. Well, I mean, that that, that is better than killing them. Yeah. Um, significantly more likely to, like, go home more or less unscathed. Yeah, so it's like, okay, well, instead of killing them to take their car, why don't we just kidnap them? Take them over state mm-hmm. lines. It'll take them a while to get back to talk to yeah. the correct police that they have to talk to about the crime. Like, and by the time that they're back, we've had this huge head start and we're, yeah, exactly. you know, we're kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, one couple that they kidnapped while they stole the car was a coroner and his wife. The coroner later oh. said that she was really sweet to them. And when she found out what he did for a living, she got real silent before saying that she really hoped that he would be the one who would do their autopsy when he died. Because he was such a nice gentleman. Oh, wait. That's, like, wholesome, but dark, but sad, but, like, a little bit wholesome. Like... Uh, spoiler alert. He did actually did end up being the coroner who did their autopsy. And he was disgusted at the manner of death that they went through, especially Bonnie's. Aww. So it sounds like this guy genuinely thought that, like, he was a little bit charmed by her, too, but in less of a charming you to get away with something sort of thing and just kind of like that natural that natural sweetheartedness that comes across that's that's so charming yeah yeah she kind of does remind me of Kay howard in that regard yeah like she was super sweet and really her only her crime was being in love with clyde with the wrong guy yeah yeah um because i'm not gonna go into too much details about the crime because i mainly want to talk about bonnie's personality since every criminal is still a human her mistake yeah. was falling in love with Clyde, and he literally became the death of her. She was a young girl in the 1930s with a lower-class family and big dreams. He was a promise of getting out of that situation. She felt safe yeah. with him, even though she never fully like left her mother and her siblings, because both of them made it a goal to go see their families, even when they were like fully on the run with the law. 
Um, Most of what they stole was actually to give back to their families and to have something to live off of themselves. So it's a little bit of of a story of, like, thievery by necessity. You said that this was going into, like, the 1930s and stuff. That's getting into, like, Great Depression, or it's starting to get into, like, Great Depression territory. So it sounds like it's just a story of love and desperation. Exactly. And, like, they mainly gave, like, to their families uh, and used it to, like, used whatever they could, like, to to live off of um, while they were on the run to get food, to find some shelter, etc., um, mm-hmm. sometimes they even gave to, like, other, like, so, like, organizations or other people who were suffering from the start of the Great Depression. Right. Um, so really they were kind of like the Robin Hood of yeah, the 1930s, but the police didn't want that. Well, yeah, because they're still doing illegal shit, like. Yeah, and they didn't, and, like, people were starting to see them as figures to look up to, and so the police actually ended up contacting newspapers and over-explaining their crimes and making them seem worse than they were. Oh, no. Okay. It's, I'm trying to throw the bus a bit. Yeah. And it's crazy because I'm like, you have these two people that are in love, plus his brother and sister-in-law. There was actually a car accident with another friend of theirs who joined them for a little bit, where mm-hmm. Bonnie was barely able to walk afterwards because her legs were burned so badly by the motor fluid that caught on fire in this accident. Oh, no. And she's living in, like, the woods on stolen food, basically, and using, like, stolen cars. Yeah. The morning that they were murdered by the police, they actually were on their way to see their families. Oh, no. They had just made a stop at a corner store where they had bought breakfast sandwiches and one of Bonnie's favorite gossip rags. Some rumors say that Bonnie had called the police herself to tell them what route they would be taking, I'm mm. not too sure on it, but it's a possibility that she, maybe she was done with this life that she was living and in too yeah. much pain with her legs to continue going on the road. Well, yeah. And I mean, like, if she's against Clyde killing and he's still doing it and he's still doing it and he's still doing it, eventually, you know, it makes sense that she would want to be like, you know what? No, this has got to stop. Yeah. Even if she did make the call, I don't think she was prepared for what was going to happen, though. Well, I mean, for sure not. Like... Other sources say that it was the police that that kind of made this with their friend, like a friend of Bonnie and Clyde's, that they got help from mm-hmm. the father of one of the people that ran with them for a little while in order to basically get his son off early. Okay, so they made like a deal. Yeah. So there's like the two different ways and nobody's sure exactly which one because there's no evidence of either of them really. Like, there's no concrete right. evidence other than, like, the police saying, oh, yeah, we did all of this. Like, it's all us. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. Which right. you can't okay. take their word very well. No. Well, because, like, if it was her and it was her tipping them off, like, would they would they really want to admit that? Oh, we couldn't find them until they told us where they were. Like, Yeah. Now, I'm yes. going to give a listener warning and a warning to you, Kat. The next okay. little I'm... bit is a, is a little bit gory. I did my best to make it easier to swallow, but the facts of it are still kind of gruesome. So for okay. the listeners, please feel free to fast forward through these parts. I will have them in the show notes so that you know what time frame to skip if you are if you do feel like it's a little bit too much for you. May 23rd, 1934. Six members of law enforcement are hidden in the bushes alongside the Louisiana State Highway. Clyde is driving as usual when they see a friend's truck parked alongside the road. As Clyde slows down, 
at least 130 bullets come slamming into the stolen Ford V8. One of the first bullets hits Clyde straight in the head, killing him instantly. Kind of like a JFK situation that ends up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Except that poor Bonnie was in the passenger seat, uh, screaming and crying and calling out for mercy. Oh my god. When at least 40 bullets enter her body, one of them finally killing her. Oh my goodness. One of the officers did actually pause his fire when he heard her screaming for help. But one of the other officers told him to get closer and make sure that she was dead. His reasoning was that if she wasn't, she would then kill them. That, but that, but, but she had, didn't. They didn't care. But she hadn't killed anybody and they just, just completely ignored that? Yes. I mean, like, okay, I mean, they did just kill like her lover so that like i i could understand like a, a crime of passion happening in that kind of situation and then wanting to avoid that but like really like oh my god <laughs> well here's one of the reasons that might explain this they could have detained they could have detained her like they, they could have but rumors say that the officer who wanted bonnie fully dead no matter what was the young ted hinton hinton knew bonnie from her youth as he was one of the many customers at a cafe that she worked at who had a crush on her. Oh, come on. She had gently declined his advances around the time that she had started dating Clyde. Oh, my God. So there's speculation that he may have been upset with her for picking a criminal over him, um, and that he used her criminal fame to enact revenge for turning him down. How disgusting. I hope that's not the case, because that's absolutely despicable. Like, that's... What kind of ego? Oh, oh God, the ego, the ego that you would have to have in order to justify something like that to yourself is horrendous. That's, oh my word. Well, the police officers that um, were part of this shooting, they had apparently made a pact that the last living member of them would write a book telling about what happened. Did they? So in Hinton's book, Ambush... Oh my god. He maintains an air of guilt over being part of the ambush posse, but his entire story of what happened is greatly disputed by family members of the victims and by other people who are all, like, involved in the murders. Of course it was him that survives the longest. Like, I... Yeah. It couldn't have been anybody else's book. Uh, Like, oh my word. So the coroner who inspected their bodies Mm -hmm. found 17 entrance wounds in Clyde, and a total of 26 in Bonnie, but stated that Mm. more than one bullet seemed to enter each of the wounds. Oh, my word. The absolute... Like, your body would go into shock, like, immediately. So I I hope that she didn't have to feel most of that, but the absolute agony. Oh, my word. Yeah, and the Undertaker had a lot of issues getting their bodies ready for burial because of the injuries. Oh, no. Now, I do have a lovely book, the big book of celebrity autopsies. Yeah. And the first entry for criminals and assassins is Bonnie's. Okay. So I'm going to read what the coroner found. Oh, boy. Do we need a second trigger warning here just in case someone tuned back in and thought that it was safe? Yeah. yeah, I mean, trigger warning, it's it's actually like to the detail of... What happened? Yeah, just in case. Just Just in case. case. 
One Prepare gold, for your queasy stomachs. One gold we- wedding ring on third finger of left hand. Small watch Oof. on left arm. A three acorn brooch on dress in front. One small Catholic cross under dress. Red mm. dress and red shoes. Tattoo mm-hmm. of two hearts with arrow above the right knee. Names Roy on the right side and Bonnie on the left side. Gunshot wound around the edge of hair, one and a half inches above the left ear. Another through the mouth on the left side, exiting at top of jaw. Another at middle, just below left jaw. Another above Mm. clavicle, left side going into the neck. Another entering chest two inches below the inner side of left shoulder. Two shots entered about two inches below left shoulder, fracturing the bone. Another wound on left on elbow of left arm. Another entering left chest above the heart, breaking ribs. Six shots entering three inches on back region left side. Five pellet wounds above about the middle of left side. Cut places on left leg. Cut glass on the left ankle. Cut on top of the left foot, apparently from glass. Cut on center of right thigh. Cut six six inches in length, about three and a half inches center of right leg. Eight metal fragments centering across the front of face. Exit wounds six inches on the inner side of right leg. Flesh wound underside of right knee. Gunshot wound entering fleshy portion of left thigh. Eight bullet wounds striking almost in parallel line on left side. Three parallel lines of bullets striking right side of back from base of neck to angular right capillary capillar to middle of backbone, one striking midway of back, breaking backbone. So they were just like completely like surrounded, like sprayed out from all angles then. Yes. Because you've got like entry wounds on both sides and like, oh man, that would have been terrifying. Yeah. And then Clyde even had tattoos as well including a tattoo mm-hmm. picture of a girl under which is written Grace. On the mm-hmm. inner side, an anchor and shield USN, a tattoo through his forearm, dagger through heart with EBW, a tattoo rose and leaves, like he was fully also tattooed of other people. Okay. Um, he had a gunshot wound in the head, center front of left ear, exiting about two inches above the right ear. One entering edge of brain above left eye. Those are, these are the ones that um, they think actually killed him. And then they don't actually go into as much detail. Um, about yeah, like the like rest about of his injuries and stuff? The rest of his injuries. Like, they went way more into detail about each of Bonnie's. So, like, for him, mm. like, it's just a, a number of glass cuts rather than listing it out. I wonder if it's out. just, like, I wonder if it's, like, she had, like, a few big ones and he had just, like, a bunch of little tiny ones and it was, like, too many to count. Well, he only had 17, and she had more, but I'm wondering if, because, like the cor- because of, like, the relationship she had with the coroner, if the coroner went into more Took detail more because with- he felt for her. Right. If he would have taken more care with her than he did with him. Yeah. That can make sense. Now, another trigger warning here. From the moment that the public learned about the ambush, it was utter mayhem. The Ford V8 with Bonnie and Clyde's bodies was ambushed a second time on the road before the police what? decided to move the vehicle. What? Citizens flocked to the ambush site and immediately started gathering souvenirs of the incident. What? 
Shell casings and slivers of glass from the broken windows were scooped up fast. The cops had left two of their members at the scene to guard the bodies, but the two officers couldn't keep up with the crowds of people pushing and shoving to get closer to the car. Oh my word, why did they not pull it away like immediately why 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 was it left to just sit there for it people was, to come and pick away at it bonnie and clyde's bodies were left in the car for like five hours oh my word why because they didn't care but they clearly should have they're like how oh my word okay the worst uh, part of it all was that people had brought pocket knives with them oh my god locks of bonnie's hair Parts of her bloody clothing were all removed by the curious crowds. Some even Mm. went as far as trying to saw off parts of Clyde's fingers and his (gasps) ear as keepsakes. How disrespectful. Are you serious? That's a person. That's a person who just died. Like, think about their family. That's... Oh, my word. That is horrendous. Why are humans like this? I... Well, they We're wanted souvenirs. Seems a crime scene. And it's like, yeah, I'll take a piece of the body home with me. Like, that's horrifying well hang on so when the tow truck finally arrived on the scene the crowd was only growing and it continued to grow as they followed the car with the body still inside to the funeral parlor slash furniture shop no come on so it, it was a very slow drive because there was literally crowds of people that they had to slowly drive through as the crowds just kept growing what on earth is going on is there like cocaine in the air or something why how why are why is anyone thinking that any of this is okay that's insane the population of arcadia louisiana went from mm-hmm. 2000 people to 12000 people and like in the matter of hours as people flocked from the surrounding what? cities and states what how did word get out this quickly they didn't even like it got out how by how the... it not that fast By the time that the bodies of Bonnie and Clyde reached the funeral parlor, the Mm -hmm. souvenirs of their hair, clothes, bodies, and wreckage were being sold on the streets by those who were lucky enough to get to the car first. Beer prices went up from 15 cents a bottle to 25 cents, and sandwiches were selling out fast. What the hell? Clyde's father arrived at the parlor, like, first of all the family, he identified his son's body and then sat outside the, fu- the, the furniture slash funeral parlor on a rocking chair and cried. Yeah. As people around him, like he actually had to go past somebody no. selling souvenirs of his son's death. No. No. Come on. Yeah. Like, oh my God. So humans have just always been like this is what is what we're learning. Like, I'm like, I'm absolutely, what is with the human need to see like a famous person of any variety, die, and then the human need to, like, profit off of it. Like, why? Why? I, I can't. I, I, I can't. You broke me. You broke my brain. We got there. I... There's even I'm more to that. Coming up. I'm sorry. So the two lovers There's... had been asked to be buried together, yeah. but the Parker family refused. Bonnie's okay. final wish to her mom in her letter was to be taken home when she died. But the mob of people surrounding the family home was too big. No. Her funeral was held on May 26th, but Mm -hmm. her family had a hard time reaching her grave through the 20,000 people who attended. No respect. No respect. Like, how how could anyone who was there, who was not immediately family, should not have been there? Like, just 
any kind like i like <sighs> clyde was buried like a day the day earlier and they did it like and they got like a more like they figured out how to do a more private one somehow where they as right but somehow bonnie's got like totally leaked and oh, all these people went and her family couldn't even get near that's insane. That's so. That would be so awful to like have a family member die in that kind of way, and to not even be able to like grieve them the way that they want, the way that you want. Like, yeah. Like my, I, I just, I can't even process this. This is insane. The amount of disrespect for the dead is just horrible. I, jeez. Well, there's even more. Organizations have more? put out reward money for the deaths of Bonnie and Clyde. The officers who were involved were set Uh to take equal payments, but Hinton Uh was promised a total of $26,000. I'm going to lose my mind. (laughs) In the end, uh, most of the organizations ended up backing out of the reward money, and each officer was given $200.23 for their efforts and the memorabilia that they handed over for cash. Oh my word, come on. Even the officers were in on this? This is disgusting. Yeah. That, I, like, uh. Now, because of their escapades, there actually were a few changes to major organizations. Life insurance policies changed just after the families um, were given Bonnie and Clyde's life insurance in full. And made it so that life insurance wouldn't count in cases of death due to criminal acts by the insurer. Okay, so cool. So it made it worse. Cool, yeah. cool, 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 um, cool. Federal statutes also added bank robberies and kidnappings as federal crimes. So at this point, they were only like local crimes, that they weren't federal crimes. Right. This then made okay. these crimes harder to commit because the FBI and the local authorities teamed up with like two Ray radios installed in all police cars um so they were able to like get to the crimes quicker and like catch people easier okay that one's fair i guess i wonder if the fbi had been involved if the final shootout would have still gone the way that it did or if that was like local cops being corrupt you know what i mean like um within six months of bonnie and clyde's death three more notorious mm -hmm. criminals were gunned down including the famous gangster John Dillinger, who supposedly had sent condolence flowers to the Parker family for her funeral. Oh, no! In 2018, though, Bonnie's niece, Uh who is her last living relative, um, and relatives of Clyde's, started campaigning to have their bodies brought back together again and buried as they had wished. Um, So Clyde ended up being buried um, with one of his brothers. Mm Mm-hmm. And they had left a, and they had bought and left a spot next to him for Bonnie's body. Um, but it, so the, and the spot is still there. Like it's still open. Um, but the okay. problem is like there's legal issues surrounding like excavating her casket from the cemetery um, that she's right. in, which is nine miles away. And then to have it reburied next to Clyde. Right. So there's like technicalities and loopholes to jump through, but technically it to be possible yeah but i think like all the legal issues um it's harder to fight them i guess right now i mean it Mm -hmm. was it's been like 80 years like or more since um they died so the legalities between everything is all jumbled um yeah 
but they, it's right, but like the families. So Bonnie's niece, I think, was like eighty four um, in two thousand eighteen when she was tri- like when her and then the Barrow family were trying to get them back together. Right. Okay. So I want to leave off this story though with Bonnie's mm-hmm. own words. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier, she was a writer and loved writing poetry. While mm-hmm. on the run, she continued to write, and a few poems were sent to her mom or found during a raid that the gang nearly escaped from. Right. One of the poems is called The Ballad of Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. So it's a very long poem, so I just grabbed, like, the end of it, because I think, like, the very end of it is one that is very well known, like, for people who know the story, but, like, the rest of, like, a little bit more of it goes into how she felt about their situation. Right. If they try to act like citizens and rent a nice flat, about the third night they're invited to fight by a sub-gun's rat-tat-tat. They don't think they're tough or desperate. They know the law always wins. They've been shot at before, but they do not ignore that death is the wages of sin. Someday Hmm. they'll go down together and they'll bury them side by side. To few it'll be grief, to the law a relief, but it's death for Bonnie and Clyde. So there was no question about it. She knew. She, she knew, knew that she was going to go out like this. Yeah. I wonder, like, there's no way that she could have guessed, like, the kind of mob that would have taken over afterwards, but it sounds like she definitely knew that they were going out in a shootout. Well, I mean, I think that around the time that she wrote this poem, um, they had just escaped, a sh- like, a shootout um, when they were escaping from one of their hideouts. Right, okay. The Ballad of Bonnie and Clyde is one that she had mailed to her mom with a letter basically saying that she knows that this is how it's going to end. Oh, Oh my goodness. This poor girl. Her life would have been so different if she had just married a writer or something. like. Well, or if she had just stayed in school. Like, if she hadn't married Roy and left school, I think her life would have been so much more different. And mm-hmm. she might still be even be famous, but for her poetry or, like, her getting somewhere, right? Yeah. Like, she had all this artistic potential. And she obviously was, like, charming and, like, sweet in her own right as well. It seems like even their victims kind of, like, talking to her. So, like, oh, man, this poor girl. Yeah. And, like, the family. I mean... Yeah. Like, like the families aren't taken as seriously... Um, when you look at, like, the literature and stuff on Bonnie and Clyde, I've got three books that are, like, about Bonnie and Clyde. Two of them are written by family members. Um, one is written by, um, Blanche Barrow, um, because she, like, she ended up surviving, right? And then the other one is written by Bonnie's mom and one of Clyde's other sisters. Um, the one by Bonnie's mom and Clyde's other sister was released... Um, like, very, like, months after their deaths and ended up being republished again later because it was very quickly for food because they're like, oh, we can't trust the family of them. They're going to paint them in a better picture than they were. But, like, but that's going to happen no matter what side you're on with this. Like, you either have the cops who are painting them as worse than they were, you have the media painting them as some kind of dramatized version of what they were or you have their family who knew them best like 
yeah. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Just because you're blood doesn't mean you're necessarily going to paint them as like these wonderful, beautiful people. No, like, and I think Blanche's is taken a bit more seriously because she, because she was there. Because she was there and she does like go into like what they did, where it was like, yeah, these are facts, right? But she very mm-hmm. much is like, Bonnie and I, we were complicit. But we didn't mm-hmm. do what we were to- like what was said. But we did, like we yeah. weren't as bad as what was said, right? Um, and like even at this time, like the media was a huge part in society's view of them, um, right? After their death, a pile of newspaper boys actually sent the biggest bouquet of flowers to the Parker family out of anybody who sent them flowers. Um, because they could, they sold like 2 million copies of the paper about their deaths. Oh my goodness. And so it was almost like a thank you. Like, hey, thanks for giving, like for getting money in our pockets. What? That's like, I can't tell if that's like compassionate or cold. I can't like, on the one hand, like, great condolences. On the other hand, like, thanks for making a story by, like, your daughter being a part of this thing and dying. Like, I, what? Like, I, 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 I wouldn't even know how to respond to that. Like, I don't think that they did, actually. I think that the Parker family kind of did, like, kind of pull back. Especially because they seem to be getting the most of the attention from the public. I, okay, I wonder how much of that is to do with Bonnie being the more compassionate of the two and, like, Clyde being, like, kind of the the rampant killer and Bonnie being the one being, like, no, 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 we don't have to kill them. We'll just drop them off somewhere. And how, how much of that is to do with her being a young, beautiful woman? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think the public really knew as much. I think they saw both Bonnie and Clyde as the villains, because of how hmm. the media was portraying them, right? Like, the media okay. said that Bonnie was part of some of the shootings when she wasn't. Right. Gotcha. So they would have thought that she was, like, just as in on it as him and stuff. Yeah. And so I will, I'm wondering if they saw it as, like, the Romeo and Juliet. Like, they saw the love story of it, and they might have just been like, oh, this woman got caught up into it. And this is what she's right. become, right? And then, so, like, she might be a bit more sensationalized because most of the other criminals were men at that time. Right. So it's like, oh, hey, we have a woman criminal. This is cool. Like, we're going to focus on her. Yeah, she's she's different. She's unique. She's interesting. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, man. that is the story of Bonnie Parker. Wow. It's a lot. It when is a lot. <laughs> dig in deep and stuff, right? Where it's like, yes, they're criminals, but... They shouldn't be treated this way, in this way. Mm-hmm. Like, they're still humans that you're now profiting off of their deaths. Yeah. It's kind of like, like, it reminds me a lot of um, the new stuff about people taking memorabilia from serial killers. And they, mm. there's actual people who have, like, museums of memorabilia from from serial killers, including artwork that they did in jail and letters that they've written and stuff from, like, their actual crimes, right? Like, evidence, basically. Like, getting into, like, the hyperstophiliac territory, right? Yeah. Where they're, like, sexually interested in uh, people who commit crimes. Yeah. 
but I, and I think that a lot of places now have made it illegal to acquire these items um, because they're like, it, no. <laughs> like, that's a little much. Like, this is someone's personal belongings. Yeah, like, when we think about it, like, even, like, I would actually, because of how much I adore the story of Bonnie and Clyde, I would Mm -hmm. just, like, die if somehow I got my hands on, like, an actual, like, primary source. Like, if I actually got to touch the, like, like, like her her poem that she wrote or whatever, right? Like, the actual piece of paper with her writing on it. Like, the art that she made kind of thing. Yeah, like, if I, it's a right where it's, like, if that was something that I had in my home, I would actually be proud of it almost. Which, yeah. is a right, because it's, like, I've researched and I connect with this person, but I'm, like, in a way, I'm also, but, like, that's kind of weird and probably wrong. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I would understand wanting to have, like, maybe a copy of her poem yeah. up, but things that were her personal physical things should stay with her family. Yeah. Right? Like, in my opinion, I I, I understand people... Like, I enjoy t- true crime myself. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, it, it's a hobby that a lot of people resonate with. It helps a lot of people deal with, like, anxiety and stuff like that. Like, it's... But as in any group, there are people who take it too far and take the story of a person and like you said just like use it for personal gain and personal profit and that's like you can't talk about cases like this without compassion like these these were people and to just like to swarm a truck hours after someone was shot to death in it trying to steal things from them is just like beyond belief gross and that that mentality has like kind of like always been there and like stuck around for so long just because it's a sensational story is like it just blows my mind it's like what does that really like what does that say about humanity like it it, it reminds me of like in terms of like profiting off of someone else's death story it reminds me of like the gabby gabby petito oh yeah 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 case recently where everybody and their dog were making videos about it to the point where it was interfering with the case yeah and like making it more difficult to find her trying to like siphle like shuffle through the real the actual tips and the fake tips that were just people trying to get clout and that's just for clout that's not even monetary gain like that's that's just for internet points like that's that's just I mean, people people have been talking about it like it's this new phenomenon, but what the story tells me is that this has been going on for, like, forever. Yeah, and I mean, I think, like, even, like, with, like, the Jack the Ripper cases and stuff, people mm. were, like, once people found out where he had killed someone, they went to go see if they could find <laughs> memorabilia, basically. Um, what? And, like, there's different, like, there's pieces of evidence that have gone missing and then been found again, where now with, like, today's technology, technically we could try to take that evidence and see if there's any new DNA or whatever, but because it had gone missing and then being found again, nobody knows Mm -hmm. who had touched it in the meantime. So, like, Uh, there's, like, fabric from, like, the victim's clothing and stuff that... And there's no way... Yeah, and there's no way at that point that people could have known that DNA testing ever would have been a possibility. But, like, it's... But, like, it, it still sucks, though. Like, Yeah. Oh, my word. Well, I mean, like, even though, like, we love to sensationalize these things and totally. put it into media consumption. 
Um, you've got the you got multiple movies that portray Bonnie in various ways. Um, mm-hmm. Clyde usually seems to be about the same portrayal in everything. Like that's a bit more of a truthful portrayal. It's Bonnie mm-hmm. that gets sensationalized more. Um, right. I think the closest thing that I have found, like media wise, that actually portrays them both pretty accurately is the Broadway musical that didn't do very well, unfortunately. But it's, no become, it's become a cult classic, and they kind of capture Bonnie's innocence much more. And they do capture a little bit more of like the back and forth, right? Of him right. killing people and her going, what the heck, I'm out, and him be, and then him drawing her back in. Rather like than they, her being this almost Harley Quinn-type character who's yeah. here for it all and is ready to murder people just as much as he was. Yeah. I'm very sad, though, because it is um, now showing in um, the UK. Um, mm-hmm. Andrew Lloyd Webber, who I now have major issues with, um, oh. But he had taken Bonnie and Clyde and the Heathers musicals, and he oh, kind of no. started to workshop them back in England, um, trying to see, okay, what went wrong with them that they didn't do well, like, in live showings. They had okay. to be, because I think both of them closed within a year of being on Broadway. Oh, okay. Um, where he's like, okay, they've got good actors, they've got good stuff like what is it that didn't resonate and so he was trying to see if he could like reform them so that they could become live shows again um because like the soundtracks for both of them became cult classics like right so many people love the soundtracks and are disappointed that the show didn't run so the heathers kind of came back um way better like the heathers i think started running a like years ago in the uk with carrie hope fletcher um, and then it's still running in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so, right, so then Bonnie and Clyde did like a small run and then they did a uh, concert run, like a small concert run. And then now it's mm-hmm. back again in the UK. But the changes and like how the actresses are portraying Bonnie has changed since the original one. Oh, no. Um to make her this to make her fit the mold of like the more sensationalized version of her rather than like the more accurate depiction. No, they're almost too innocent and oh, no. too um willing. Um Laura Osnes who originally played Bonnie for the Broadway one, she played her so well that she was still strong mm-hmm. but showed that anxiety and showed that back and forth between her and Clyde better. Um, right. When I watched, because it was the West End Live that I watched, like, the performances, like, the performances for it. And I was like, I'm glad I'm not going to see this show in England. Because right. um, when Grant and I were talking about going, I was like, oh, Bonnie and Clyde's going to be showing. When is it showing? How long, like, would I be able to go see it? But now that I've watched it, I'm like, I'm actually glad I haven't. Because they just took her character and made her too weak? Yeah. And it's, I don't know, like, I mean, like, no offense to, like, the actress playing her, but, like, I'm wondering if it's, like, the direction or whatever that they were given. Um, Mm. But it just, it didn't feel as authentic to me as how Laura Osnes had played her. 
So for right. anyone listening, I do recommend checking out the Bonnie and Clyde soundtrack. It doesn't have all of like the factual, like they don't have the facts completely correct because of course they had to kind of sensationalize it a little bit for Broadway. But the feeling that you get from it is much more realistic to the story. Okay. So all I definitely right. recommend that. And then uh, in the show notes, I'll have the books. Um, they're actually not too hard to find, um, but I'll have the books as well if anybody's interested um, in reading the perspective of the people who actually were there <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than yeah. the sensationalized stuff. Yeah, that's a that's a good thing to have in our sources today. We'll also have my pirate book from earlier in the sources today because I'm just like absolutely thrilled that it's a thing that exists. So I'm I'm now going to just tell everybody I know about it for the next like for forever. So I mean, honestly, why not? I tell people all the time like about the Bonnie and Clyde books. Where I'm like, if you're interested in this, go read these. <laughs> If you like pirates, here are the OG pirate stories. They are so cool. You just have to put up with a little bit of old-timey English language. That's all. It's fine. It's fine. I promise. The spelling's a little odd sometimes, but it's fine. It's kind of fun, though, because then you kind of guess you're getting to see it, how it would have looked if when people were telling the story. Well, and that's the thing. This book was written around the same time that these pirates were, like, like actually doing the thing, right? So it was like a current event that this whole book is written about so it's like it's literally it's literally as it's happening this book is being put together like it's wild so what do we have coming up i think next week we have a couple cults right yes yeah yes and i know like i know um the cult that i've chosen is actually both a very historical event and Mm -hmm. there is some current events around it as well Interesting. The cult that I have chosen is a tea cult, and it's a little bit more current. It's not super. It's not super historical. I think it's like mid nineteen hundreds. Okay. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going very historical, like ancient times <laughs> cults. Yeah. No, mine is a lot more recent than that. <laughs> but yeah, so but it's, it's interesting. It's interesting, and it does still tie into like, like it's still relevant. Yeah. And we'll explain that next week. Awesome. Yeah. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found something new and will check out the resources in the show notes to get more information. In the meantime, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so more history nerds can find me. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page at WDYKA Podcast, as well as considering helping me out with a donation or membership on Buy Me a Coffee. The link is in the show notes and on our IG link tree. Thanks so much and see you next time on the lesser known side of history.